Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Sheets. This is a special sick day edition of the show. If you're not a normal listener, please check back for some of the more normal, quote-unquote, shows. Uh, if you'd like to get a flavor of the show, this is just a special uh, sick day version where I'm releasing some content that I think will be thought-provoking so as to make sure that the audience has something uh, to keep them going each day. Uh, if you're a daily listener, you'll notice that this was actually released out of order. That's because I was flat on my back and unable to record the show. Today, I want to bring your attention to a piece of audio that I recently heard when listening to Tim Ferriss's interview with Kevin Kelly. Kevin Kelly is the founder of Wired Magazine. I had known him as that, but I had no idea how interesting his life was until I listened to this interview. And again, this is on The Tim Ferriss Show, which is a podcast that Tim has started, which uh, is really quite enjoyable. I haven't listened to all of the episodes, but the ones that I've listened to have really enjoyed the interviews that he's conducted. And what I was struck by in this selection of audio is I was struck by some of the con- hearing somebody completely independently talk about some of the concepts of uh, that we've talked about here on the show, specifically about designing your own path and also about not being scared to figuring out how to cut the fear out of financial insecurity. I think you'll find some of these concepts interesting. This is a nine-minute piece of audio. Uh, I would encourage you check for the link in the show notes or just go over to the 4hourblog.com. I think it's 4hourblog.com slash podcast is where Tim hosts his show and look for the three episodes with his interview with Kevin Kelly. I don't know much about Kevin uh, uh, or Mr. Kelly, I guess I should call him. I don't know much about him. I haven't read any of his books before, but I have certainly put him on my list now as someone that I'm interested in getting to know uh, a little bit. Uh, Usually I mean that in the reading his work and studying his work since, although I'd be honored to meet him at some point. Uh, He sounds like quite the Renaissance man, and he sounds like somebody who probably, if my gut instinct is any any indication, probably embodies many of the ideas and the ideals that I think we strive for. Uh, In the interview, you'll hear that if you go and listen to the full show, I'm only excerpting a nine-minute section. Uh, In the interview, though, you'll hear he has He's quite the renaissance man, interested and involved in many unique things. And it just seems like he's built a life out of doing things that he loves. And I don't know anything about his financial situation. I would imagine that he is uh, living well comfortably. I don't know if he is wealthy or not. He talks – he and Tim later in the interview that I've not excerpted. Uh, but they talk some about the values of being rich and the values of not being rich. It's also an interesting part of the, the show. But – he really just sounds like someone who's built a life and a lifestyle that he loves to live. And it sounds uh, really unique. He sounds like a neat guy. So I'm definitely going to go and start reading some of his books and getting to know him a little bit more as a, a person through his work. So nothing else for right now. Enjoy this nine-minute excerpt of the uh, of the interview. And consider some of the personal finance lessons in this nine-minute excerpt. If you're interested in more, uh, follow the link through or go over to the 4-Hour Blog and uh, or look up the Tim, Tim Ferriss Show on, your, on iTunes or on whatever podcatcher you use. And I hope you enjoy that. I'll be back as soon as I can with, uh, with normal shows. Thanks for listening. <laughs> You do have, of course, a background. A lot of people are familiar with your background with Wired, but perhaps you could give folks a bit of, of background on yourself. And is it true that you, you dropped out of, of college after one year? 
Yeah, I'm a college dropout, and actually, my one regret in life is that one year that I gave. Oh, no kidding. No yeah, kidding. Yeah, I uh, wish I had just uh, even skipped that. But I, I do understand how um, college can be useful to people, and I've um, my own children have gone through. But for me, it was just not the right thing, mm-hmm. and I went to Asia instead. And mm-hmm. I like to tell myself that I gave my own self a PhD in East Asian Studies, Mm-hmm. By traveling around and photographing in very remote remote parts of Asia at a time when it was in a transition from the ancient world to the modern world. And I did many other things as well. And for me, it was a very formative time because I did enough things that when I finally got my first real job at the age of 35. <laughs> wow. Which, um, which job was that? I worked for a nonprofit at $10 an hour, which was the Whole Earth Catalog, mm. which had been a kind of a lifelong dream. If I said, if I'm going to have a job, that's the job I want. It took me a long time to kind of get it. But in between that, I, I did many things, including starting businesses and selling businesses and doing other kinds of things, more adventures. Mm-hmm. And I highly recommend it. You know, I got involved in starting Wired and running Wired for a while, and I hired a lot of people who were coming right out of college. Mm-hmm. They were interns and they would do the intern thing and then mm-hmm. they were good and we would hire them, which meant that basically, you know, after 10 years, whatever it was, they were, this was their first and only job. And I kept telling them, why are you here? <laughs> what are you doing? You should be fooling around, wasting time, trying something crazy. Why are you working a real job? I don't understand it. And I just really, I really recommend Slack. I'm a mm. big believer in in this thing of kind of doing something that's not productive. You know, productive is for your middle ages. When you're young, <laughs> you want to be prolific and make and do things, but you don't want to measure them in terms of productivity. You you mm. want to measure them in terms of extreme performance. You want to measure them in kind of um, extreme satisfaction. It's it's a time to kind of try stuff. And, and I think... Explore the extremes. Exactly. Explore the possibilities. And there are so many possibilities and there's more every day. And and you don't want... It's called premature optimization. You, 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 know, mm. you, really, you really want to use this time to continue to do things. And by the way, premature optimization is a problem of success. Too. Mm. It's not just the problem of the young. It's the problem of the successful more than even of the young. But we'll get to that. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that's that, a long that, answer. That, that might turn into a therapy <laughs> session for me at this precise moment in time, in fact. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> but when you are exploring that slack, I, I would imagine many people feel pressured, whether it's internal pressure or societal, familial pressure, to get a real job to support yeah. themselves. And there, a lot of the decisions are made out of fear. They, yeah. they worry about being out on the streets or it's a nebulous terror or anxiety. How did you support yourself, for instance, while you were traveling through Asia when, when, when you left school? I totally understand this anxiety and fear and stuff. But here's, here's the thing. I think one of the many kind of life skills that you want to actually learn at a fairly young age is the skill of being like, ultra thrifty, minimal, kind of this little wisp that is traveling through time in the sense of learning how little you actually need to live, not just in kind of um, survival mode, but kind of, you know, in a contented mode. Mm-hmm. And I learned that pretty early by backpacking and doing other things, and especially in Asia, was I could be very happy with very, very little. 
Mm. And you can go onto websites and stuff and look at sort of like the minimum amount of stuff, food, say, that you need to, to live, you know, your mm-hmm. basic protein and carbohydrates and, and vitamins and, and how much you actually, if you bought them in bulk, how much it would cost. I mean, you build your own house, live in a shelter, a tiny house. You don't need very much. And I think trying that out, you know, building your house on the pond like Thoreau, mm-hmm. who was a hero of mine in high school, is – a not just a simple exercise it's a profound exercise because it allows you to get over the anxiety even mm-hmm. if you aren't living like that you know that if the worst came to worst you could keep going at a very low rate and be content and so that gives you the sort of confidence to take a risk because you say what's the worst that could happen well the worst right. that could happen is that i'd have a backpack and a sleeping bag and i'd be eating oatmeal and you know whatever, you know, and that'd be fine. Yeah. And I think if you do that once or twice, you don't necessarily have to live like that, but but knowing that you can be content is tremendously empowering. Definitely. And that's what I did. That's basically what I did. It was, you know, living in Asia where the people around me had less than I did and they were pretty content. Mm-hmm. You realize, oh my gosh, I don't really need very much to be happy. And did you save up money beforehand with odd jobs or did you do odd jobs while on the road, a bit of both? I did odd jobs before I left. I was traveling in Asia at a time when the price differential was so great Mm -hmm. that it actually made sense for me to fly back on a charter flight to the U.S. and work for four or five months and I worked basically odd jobs. I worked from working in a warehouse, mm-hmm. uh, packaging uh, athletic shoes, working in a kind of technical sense of a – it's a really just hard to describe, but it was, it was kind of a, in a photography-related job where we were reducing printed circuit boards down to little sizes mm-hmm. to be shipped off to be printed and driving cars to whatever else I could find. And that, at that time – made more money. I could live off of, I could live on probably two years mm-hmm. from those couple months of work. So I didn't really work while I was traveling until I got to Iran in the late seventies. And there, there was a very high paying job, which was teaching English mm-hmm. to the Iranian pilots who worked for the Shah. But I had sworn there was never going to teach English. So I actually got a job <laughs> in, Be- in Bella ha- helicopter who was teaching which is to the pilots. But my job was running a little newsletter for the American community there. Uh, <laughs> and I worked there until I was thrown out by the coup. That was another story. Why did I, Now, uh, <laughs> just a couple of comments. So number one, for those people listening who are saying to themselves, already perhaps creating reasons why they can't do what you did now due to different economic climate or whatnot, it is entirely possible to replicate what you did. You just have to choose your locations wisely for that, for that type of differential. Absolutely. absolutely. And I should also just mention to people that part of the reason I'm so attracted to stoic philosophy, whether that be Seneca or Marcus Aurelius is exactly because of the practice of poverty, not because you want to be poor, but so that you recognize not only that you can subsist, but then you can potentially be content or, or even in some cases be more content with a bare minimum. So for people who are more interested in that, I highly recommend a lot of the Stoic writings, and you can search for those on my blog and elsewhere. But Let me just add to that. 
there's actually a new age version of that that was sort of popular in a generation ago. Mm-hmm. And the search term there is volunteer simplicity. Mm. Volunteer so, simplicity. Right. And so the idea is poverty is, is terrible when it's <laughs> mandatory, when you have no choice. But volunteer version of that is very, very powerful. And I, I think attaching names sometimes to things, it, it makes it more legitimate. But, but imagine yourself practicing voluntary simplicity. And that, I think, is part of that Stoic philosophy. But there was a whole kind of a movement. A lot of the hippie dropouts were kind of practicing a similar thing. And there was you know, a whole best practices that resolved around that. You can make up your own. But I think it's, to me, an essential skill, that a life skill that people should acquire and when you go backpacking and stuff like that, that's part of it. That's the beginnings of trying to understand what it is that you need to live as a, you know, as a being. And you can fill that out in any way you want, but that's a good way to experiment. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big. 